Good morning and welcome back. I'm Rick Brown. Thank you for joining us on today's Seek First podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First podcast. Thanks, everybody. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready. Grab your Bible, prepare your heart and mind. Let's go. We are going to finish the life of Joseph and... This last session, we've looked at the pit, the plantation, the prison, the palace, and now we look at the plan as it all comes together, what was in the heart and mind of God to bring together, not only for Joseph, not only for his family, but for the entire Mediterranean area, God was going to work a work of grace and salvation with physical food through the life of his servant Joseph. In the long winters of Idaho, where I'm from, with my children as we were growing up, in the wintertime we would do a couple of uh, thousand-piece um, cross, or not crossword puzzles, but just puzzles, and we would dump them out on the dining room table. And as my kids were young, you know, you have that picture of the puzzle. And as we see this plan come together in Joseph's life, it's very much like a jigsaw puzzle. And... It is the equivalent of Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for, those, for good for those who love God and are the called according to his purposes. Joseph's going to share about the full plan coming together of what God had in mind. And that's the blessing of seeing uh, the end of the plan. But when you're going through it, it just feels like your life is this pile of puzzle pieces that's been dumped out on a table. And my daughter, who's the youngest in the family, even as a little girl, she had no problem finding the corners of the puzzle, right? If you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle, you find the corners, you find the edges, and you have that picture up the whole time. Because the box, the picture of the box of what the, the masterpiece, the painting, the portrait that God is designing and painting in your life, you don't have the picture. You don't know what that looks like. All you have is a pile of pieces. And for you, you just have to put them together one at a time. And it's not towards the end. Imagine doing it without the box. The, the box in the picture gives me the roadmap. It's the blueprint of, oh, this, this color goes in this corner of the puzzle. Well, the Lord has the picture, the complete picture. He knows what he's going to do in your life. He knows how it all turns out. David says, all my days are already written in his book. Your, your autobiography from beginning to end is already written in heaven on the shelf of his library of love. But for you, you have to figure it out, a word, a sentence, a paragraph, a page at a time. So it's like a <laughs> drip feed for the plan of God to your life. But God had given Joseph somewhat of a picture in two dreams. He gave him two snapshots. The dream of 11 sheaves of grain bowing down to his sheaf of grain and the 11 stars and the sun and the moon also bowing down to Joseph. Somehow in Joseph's future, he knew his brothers and his parents, even though his mom's passed away, just kind of the symbolism of it, his family was going to bow to him to need something like grain, like his brothers 
as a sheaf of grain. And he didn't know how it was all going to come together. But he surely didn't think it was going to come together through the heartache and the difficulties of what he went through. We think when God shows us a vision or a dream or a plan that the road to get there is a bed of roses. And it's not. For Joseph, it was the hatred of his brothers being sold into slavery, being falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife, going to prison, doing time there, and being forgotten. And all of this, the anguish and the darkness of the soul. Each year, we would do these puzzles. And we had have fun, and my wife would make hot chocolate, cold winter nights in Idaho. And at the end of every puzzle, without fail, without fail, every single puzzle, there would be a piece that we could not find, right? And we had this little schnauzer, a little dog, named Brownie. And every time my daughter, it was, it was her dog really, she would look at him, she would say, Brownie, did you eat the piece to the puzzle? And he would pin his ears back and leave the room because she had him trained very well. If she wanted him to leave the room, she'd say, no boys allowed, and he would leave the room. <laughs> she would put him in the bathtub, and she would give him a bath, and after she, he was all done, she goes, okay, shake, and he would shake, and then she would, she had him trained really well. But every single year, he must have been, you know, when he saw us bring those puzzle boxes home from the store, he must have been traumatized <laughs> because he knew he was going to be falsely accused of eating a piece to the puzzle. But every single time we found the, piece, the missing piece to the puzzle and finished the puzzle. Here we are at different ages, different stages of our life. And sometimes we just feel like there's some missing pieces to the puzzle. It just hasn't come together yet. What's going on? Have I missed it? And, and we're quick always to think of ourselves like somehow it's my lack of faith or my... my uh, struggles or my turmoil or my temptations or my sins that somehow has thwarted the plan of God. Now, God knows your frame, that you're dust. God knows who you are. Do you, you know, there's never been a day in your life that you failed that God went, oh, that really surprises me. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I saw that coming a long ways back. <laughs> and so now as it comes together for Joseph, imagine... Seven years of plenty of came about, and he's been storing up all this grain, and now the two years of the seven years that are going to take place, a famine has come. It has been 22 years since his brothers betrayed him. 22 years. Two decades. And on this day, Joseph is selling grain to all the people. Imagine the long line of people that are they're coming from all over the Mediterranean. Caravans, because they heard there's grain in Egypt, but everywhere else, starvation. We pick up our story in Genesis 42, verse 6. As we see the plan, Joseph sees his brothers. 22 years. What a family reunion. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him, and their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. 
So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you guys are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. I love this line. We are honest men. <laughs> it's almost like pun intended. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. They have no idea who they're talking to. <laughs> they're the punks that sold him into slavery, have been lying to his dad that some wild animal ate him for the last 22 years, and we are honest men. It's, it's quite comical. Now imagine, we're going to find out that Joseph is talking to, to them through an interpreter. He's fluent in Egyptian now. He talks to them through a Hebrew interpreter. He's in the garb of, you've seen the ancient, everybody's seen Ten Commandments, Yul Brenner with his shaved head in the Egyptian leadership, you know, shaved heads and maybe uh, uh, painted on eyebrows, whatever their kind of dynamic was in Egypt. But it was very different, and he did not look like Joseph to them. But they are all normally, uh, and they were all his older brothers, so they were all fully mature. He knows his brothers quite well. Everybody's there but except Benjamin, and he wouldn't know what he looks like because Benjamin was just a child, his little brother, when he was sold into slavery. And in this passage, skipping down in the chapter to verse 21, we see Joseph's tears. Then they said to one another, as he's scolding them, he's falsely accusing them as being spies, they look to one another and they're speaking in Hebrew and they don't know it's Joseph. They don't know he understands. And they begin to speak to one another. We are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them and saying, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter, and he turned himself away from them and wept. It is fascinating to me the power of a guilty conscience. 22 years goes by, they're being scolded in a foreign country by a foreign dictator or a, a dilettante or prime minister, and the immediate their immediate reaction to harsh treatment or a bad situation is the judgment of God for what they did 22 years ago. Our guilty conscience, maybe some of us drug a guilty conscience up here with us this weekend. And when you're haunted by some failure in your past and this breaks down at the home, or this goes wrong, or this relationship goes south. It's amazing how quickly your conscience immediately wants to connect the dot from my guilt to this tragedy right now, from my guilt from this drama right now, from this place of guilt to this went wrong, and it's because of that three years ago. It's because of that last month. It's because of that that I did when I was 14. Some, tr some traumatic thing 
that you could never get out of your mind, that you could never get forgiveness for, you could never get cleansing, you could never get deliverance. It's like this monster. It's like this monkey on your back throughout the years. And everything, every time something goes wrong, a flash goes through your mind. This is the judgment of God because of what I did. These brothers don't miss a beat immediately from when he speaks harshly to them. They turned to one another and said, you know, this is because of Joseph. After two decades. Isn't it amazing? The power and the memory of a guilty conscience. I have thoughts that take me back to things that I did when I was a kid. Things that went on. Things that I've been a part of. That I've had to just bring them specifically to the Lord. And Lord, I, I haven't been able to shake this my whole life. Right? I need you to deliver me. I need you to cleanse my conscience. I need you to wash me with your blood. I need to be delivered from a guilty conscience. Now, a guilty conscience brings us to the throne of Jesus for forgiveness. The condemnation and the accusation of the devil wants to drive you from the throne of Jesus. That's how he uses guilt. That Jesus uses... Now, I think that there's a, a big movement today to try to remove a guilty conscience from people. You, reason, you know the reason we feel guilty, guys? Because we're guilty. <laughs> Surprise! Right? Why do I feel guilty? Because I am guilty of doing wrong things. But that guilt is good if it brings me to the forgiveness and the grace and the transforming power of my Savior. And once I've come to that throne of grace and the Lord cast my sins as far as the east is from the west and he cast them into the sea, Job says he ties it up in a bag and cinches it tight. The blood of Jesus that washes away our sins that we can stand now in absolute confidence. And when the accusations of the devil come and the accuser of the brethren comes to us and says, you're guilty, you've done this, you had this thought, you did this last week, you did this last night, you did this, you did that. And you go, you know what? I agree with the devil, you're right. But I've brought it to Jesus and it's under the blood of Jesus. And it's a finished deal. So you can accuse me all you want, but you're actually having, gonna have to take it up with my lawyer my advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So you talk to him about it because I've talked to him about it and we got it all straightened out. I'm clean, I'm right. Now if you love Jesus and you're cleansed by the blood of the lamb, you can stand in absolute confidence before the railing accusations of Satan because it has no power on you now because Jesus' blood, Jesus has stepped in front of that accusation and he's already taken the bullet, or shall we say the spikes himself in his hands and feet. All of your sin, all your past sin, all the things you're struggling with presently, all of your future sins, not only for yours, but everybody in this room, and everybody in the entire world, Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient that all of your sin was nailed to that cross. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a beautiful picture that really helps me in my own mind. When a sinful person had blown it and he brought a lamb to the priest to offer in his place, and he would confess his sins on the head of the animal. 
He was transferring his guilt, his shame, his sin, onto the head of this animal. And then he would sacrifice that lamb. But the priests, when that guilty sinner came, the priests did not examine the man. He examined the lamb to see if it was without spot or blemish. He's not examining you. You see, when I'm coming to the Lord with my sin, the Lord's not examining me. He's examining the lamb who was slain, who was perfect, who is the spotless lamb of God. So to have this cleansing, to have this revelation, to have this confidence, because you can only be confident, right? When the Lord came to Isaiah, and Isaiah had this incredible vision of the Lord, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And he hears these words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah wants to be used by God, but between him and his usefulness is his guilty conscience. He says, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. Among a people of unclean lips, I'm like, I'm a sinful mess. How are you going to use somebody? You can't use somebody like me. And so the angel took the coal from the altar and touched his lips and cleansed him. He said, well, your lips were, cl- were unclean. Now they're clean. Now go for me. Go serve me because I've cleansed you. You see, the, the cleansing of the Christian life is just a daily experience. You wake up every day, every day, like I don't care what yesterday was, learning to live in the bookends of from morning to night. Jesus said tomorrow has enough problems of its own. And how many of us in this room are robbed of the joy today because of a failure from yesterday or a fear and anxiety of what's coming tomorrow? You don't enjoy today, right? I'm worried about, you know, I, I blew it back there. Maybe I'm going to be discovered. Maybe I'm going to be found out. I don't know. You know, the roosters may come home to roost. The other shoe may drop. The other things that, you know, I'm going to be, out, I'm, it may happen. Or, I, I don't know about tomorrow. I'm so afraid. And people can't enjoy their life today because yesterday's robbing them and tomorrow's robbing them. But today will not rob you if you'll just wake up in the morning and realize his mercy is new and you can walk with him today. Like today is the Lord's and his mercies are new every morning. So I wake up in the morning like, I love that the Lord gave us a 24-hour period to reset my clock on my life every single day. Yesterday's gone. Right? Tomorrow's not here. But today, I get to walk with God and serve him. Now, these brothers have not tapped into this. They have not discovered this. And so, through a series of events, we have to kind of skip and narrate a bunch of stuff. Joseph gives these brothers a hard time. He throws them all in jail for three days, lets them think about it. Now, some people try to sanitize Joseph Joseph through this. I think a couple of things are happening. First of all, this is just super fun for Joseph at this moment. I think Joseph has really gotten it. You guys are spies. Man, he's like, (laughs) if I could bring some vengeance right now. And he's only going to mess with them a little bit before he totally, you know, reveals himself and everything unfolds. And he just forgives them and blesses them. And he's already done that. God's done that work in his heart. But he's wanting to see who they are today. 
He's just giving them a little test, like, who are my brothers today? I haven't seen them in 22 years. And so he calls them spies. He hears their guilty conscience here. Then he says, you know what? I'm going to keep all you guys here. And he finds out about Benjamin, his little brother. He goes, you know, I, he goes, I also fear God. So he takes Simeon, and he puts Simeon in jail. And he says, I want you guys to go home to your dad, and I want you to get your little brother Benjamin. And Simeon's going to be here. He's hostage until you bring and prove that you are honest men and you actually have a little brother, Benjamin. You bring him back here to me. And so they're, oh, no. But he puts all their gold back in their sacks. So when they arrive back at their camp and even feeding their, their uh, animals on the way, they see the gold in there and they're like, oh, no. Oh, no. It is the judgment of God on our lives. They get back there. They tell dad the whole story. And he's, dad's freaked out. He's like, oh, all these things are against me. And this is Jacob's response to all of this. Because isn't that what we think in the midst of God's plan when all the pieces of the puzzle haven't come together? We think the adversity and everything that's going on, we think it's all against us. That's what Job, uh, Jacob says. All these things are against me. And we know the story because we have the picture box. We know how this all goes. And I'm like, no, Jacob, all these things are for you. Pretty soon you're going to see your boy. Pretty soon you're going to be with your family. It's going to be the most amazing family reunion in Egypt. You're going to be so blessed, Jacob, you have no idea what God is doing. But right now it's, oh, woe is me. Because you have not seen the last chapter. So they go home. Jacob won't let them take Benjamin because Benjamin is his pride and joy after Joseph died. And he just forbids it. Well, they finally run out of grain. And Reuben, who's the oldest, and though here he tried to rescue jo uh, uh, Joseph, he says the stupidest thing to Jacob. He says, we need to go, Dad. And he goes, no, you're not taking Benjamin. He goes, well, if we take him and, and, and Joseph, or I mean uh, the guy in Egypt keeps him, then you can kill my sons. It's like, that's exactly what a grandfather wants to do, right? I just lost a son. I think I'll kill a couple of grandkids. Are you like, what an idiot, Reuben. What are you thinking? And he puts it off, off, off. Now, they're out of grain. they got to go. And finally, finally, Judah steps up. And Judah entreats him. And he says, Dad, we didn't know this guy was going to... We didn't know by telling him we have a dad and a little brother and, and one of our brothers is gone. We didn't know when we just shared our hearts and our story that he was going to do this to us, Dad. But we're going to starve to death, Pop, unless you let us go. And, and I'll be surety for Benjamin. I'll take care of Benjamin. Because though Jacob has thought that a wild animal ate Joseph 22 years ago, he did not let Benjamin go with them the first time because it says a verse of Scripture that says, lest something befall him. There seems to be something suspicious about these boys. And with Joseph disappearing, he's never quite wrapped his heart fully around the wild animal story. He's kind of known that, I think, I think my boys killed him. I think my boys did something to him. So now he's protecting Benjamin like, I can't let Benjamin loose with you, Tim. Because bad things happen when you guys are together. But when Judah steps up and intercedes... And this is what raises Judah. Jesus from the tribe of Judah. He's the great intercessor. It is here that Judah shines. But it's only after chapter 38 of Genesis, which is one of the most unusual chapters in all of Genesis, that Jacob's, or excuse me, Judah has a train wreck in his own family. Through his own brokenness, Judah had a son that was born. 
he had two sons, Aaron and her, or uh, excuse me, Onan and Ur. And they married a woman, and it says that Ur was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord struck him and killed him. We don't know what Ur did, but it was a bad day. And the Lord gives him Onan and says, okay, Onan, you go and you marry your brother's wife so that you can raise up a name for your son. Well, he's having sex with her, and Onan's like, if, if I get her pregnant, I have to name the firstborn child after my brother because that's the tradition. And so I don't want to do it. So he's, when he has sex with her, the old school birth control with no condoms or anything, in the middle of sex when he's getting ready to orgasm, he pulls out and orgasms on the ground so it's not inside of her so that she doesn't get pregnant. That ticks the Lord off for whatever reason. We don't know. He kills him. Boom. Two down. Two of his boys are killed by doing something that displeases God from one woman. Now, he tells her, Judah says, well, you wait for Sheila. He's the baby in the family. He'll grow up and he'll marry you and raise up. Now a couple of names for the kids. <laughs> I was just thinking, what's this chick cooking? I mean, if all my kids are dying, what's, what's happening? But Sheila grows up and then she realizes, oh, he's not going to give. She's, Judah's not going to let me marry Sheila. So she puts a veil on, goes by the road where Judah is coming, and she plays the harlot. Now, Judah's wife had died, so he was grieving, wanted to be with a woman. He sees this prostitute, and he ends up going in. He, unbeknownst to him, she keeps her veil on through the sexual act. He just had sex with his daughter-in-law. Ooh, right? Gets her pregnant with twins, and he didn't have any payment because he wasn't planning on going to a prostitute that day. So he gives her his belt, his signet ring, and his staff as surety that he's going to send a goat. Well... She gets pregnant, and then when she starts showing, she disappears, and they try to give the goat to her, to, uh, her but she's gone. The, when she's discovered to be pregnant, all the neighbors said to Judah, hey, Tamar's pregnant. And so he knows she has not waited, so he says, burn her. That's a compassionate father-in-law, right? And she said, well, if you're going to burn me, know that this is the dad of the kids. And she sends his belt his staff and his signet ring. And Judah looks at it and realizes he, oh, is the prostitute I had sex with, who was my, actually my daughter-in-law, and now she's pregnant with twins. You, you think your life's messed up, right? Right, father-in-law, daughter-in-law, pregnant, prostitute. I mean, it's like, it's messed up. So this is the Judah that now has recovered from all of this. And this is what he sounds like now, because... It is through your brokenness and experience grace and forgiveness that you dispense it. Those who are forgiven much love much. And if you, you show me a harsh, judgmental, self-righteous individual, I'll show you a person that has really never experienced the love and grace and forgiveness of God. And this is what Judah sounds like. He's interceding. Because through the process, they make a trip back. Benjamin's there. He does the same thing. He puts his golden cup in Benjamin's sack. And whoever's sack, they go through all their sacks. And it's found in his. So he's like, ah, your, boy ben your, your brother Benjamin's going to be my slave for the rest of uh, his life. And the other brother's like, no, our dad will die if we go back. And so this is now Judah pleading. This, this is a different set of brothers. What have these brothers learned in 22 years? Are you the same guy you were 22 years ago? Probably not. Are you softer and 
closer to the Lord or harder and further away from the Lord than you were 22 years ago. In chapter 44, verse 33, it says, Now, therefore, please let your servant remain. This is Judah speaking to Joseph. Please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? Judah now, in this intercessory, self-sacrificing, he says, you know what, take my life. I, I will become your slave. We've got to let Benjamin go home to dad because I, I just don't want to see what we've already seen for 22 years with his grief over Joseph. And I, I, I'm surety for him. I'm, I promised my dad that I would make sure Benjamin made it back. And so take me. And it's this intercession that Joseph finally sees his brothers are different. His brothers have changed. There's a brokenness. There's a, they're now realize the one that is now bowed down, no doubt, at Joseph's feet begging to become his slave so Benjamin can go home is the same Judah that the, was the one that had the idea to sell Joseph into slavery when he was in the pit. It was Judah that stepped up and said, hey, let's make some money. That same Judah is now at his feet pleading for his little brother, Benjamin. It overwhelms Joseph in chapter 45, verse 3. Then Joseph said to his brothers, he breaks. This is his big reveal. I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near to him, and then he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not, therefore, be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth, to save your lives by a great deliverance. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt." Now, this is mind-blowing. In this moment, all this time, they're, they're looking at this, this uh, prime minister of Egypt. They don't know it's Joseph. In the midst of this, he says, hey, you guys, it's me. It's your little brother, Joe. But, but, I mean, they're totally speechless. They don't know what to say. He goes, well, come closer. You didn't, you check it out. Look at, look at my mouth. Don't, can't you, don't you remember me? I'm Joseph. <laughs> they can't believe it. And as they're still stupefied and they can't speak, he says, you know, I want you guys not to be grieved. I, I heard your guilty conscience. I know it's haunted you for 22 years. I want you to know that now I see all the pieces coming together in the puzzle. And though your wicked hearts did it, God actually was overseeing this to get me here to save our whole family. God had a, a bigger picture in mind to bring me to this place. God can take what people, the garbage that people, how you will be treated. I have uh, lost jobs and I have let, had to leave places because of contention with people. And through it all, all I'm looking at is the conflict I'm going through. And then I write up over here and I'm like, oh, God wanted me here all along. But I wouldn't have went without this conflict over here. 
And God is working in all of our lives to bring this about. And it's so important when we don't understand what's going on and we think our little schnauzer has eaten that piece of the puzzle. <laughs> that No, no, God's going to put it together. And he does this now for Joseph in such a mind-blowing way. And the restoration, and just for the sake of time, he, he uh, They begin to hug and cry and weep, and especially Joseph and Benjamin, who are uh, the immediate brothers, not half-brothers like the other brothers. And they have this incredible reunion and restoration, reconciliation. If you've ever had one of those moments of just the reconciliation where everything that was destroyed, all the sin that caused the destruction in the family, and then you can come together and you can forgive one another, and you can see a bigger picture in God's plan. As I mentioned yesterday, that my wife's uncle sexually molested all the girl cousins in uh, Tammy's family. And we ended up putting him in prison for 15 years. And, uh, but one of the things, the, the uncle, his wife, did not believe uh, this whole story. They, she thought it was a whole lie, or it was a lie. And you have to wrap your mind around the magnitude of this man's destruction in our family. He molested all the girls, and he had uh, five kids. He molested all his own kids. And out of his five children, so the day that we had him arrested, so this is what we're doing, right? We're pursuing, we go to the detectives, we're trying to find one of the cousins that is within the statute of limitations, which is only seven years. And so we find a cousin that is in, within the statute of limitations to charge him. And we charge him. They arrest him that day. And then his youngest, Nikki, Tammy's little cousin, she was a cheerleader at her uh, junior high. And she comes home and she said, is it true, Mom, that they arrested Dad on charges of child molestation? And her mom said, yes. And she looked at her and she said, Mom, it's all true. He had been molesting Nikki. He molested all of his, his own girls up to this place. And, and Nikki looked at her mom and said, Mom, it's all true. And uh, she, her mom looked at her and called her a lion, blankety, blank, blank. And Nikki walked up the stairs to her bedroom and hung herself on her closet door. Out of Tom, this uncle, out of his five kids, out of his five kids, Three of them killed themselves. Nikki killed herself that day. Tim, his son, through his destruction of sexual molestation, jumped off the Prine Bridge, which is this huge bridge in our hometown, killed himself. And Tammy's cousin Steve, his son, cut his own throat to kill himself. The destruction that this man brought created the suicide of three of his own children. And still, all through it, the, the mom, Aunt Janet, believed her husband that he was innocent. We, it just, it just blew up our family. We didn't see anybody for a decade. Nobody would have anything to do with us because we were the people that, right, made this happen. It's worse than that. It wasn't just the cousins because, you see, that aunt had a daycare in her house, so he molested the kids every day, five days a week, in that daycare. The guy's a predator. So 
we don't talk to anybody for 10 years. And then Tammy's grandma is dying. We go, she's got stomach cancer. Tammy leads her to Christ. We're in the hospital room and we've just prayed with Louise. In a couple of days she's gonna pass away. And Aunt Janet walks in, it's been a decade since we saw her. And immediately, you know, just the, the hatred that is towards Tammy and I because we were the ones that led this whole thing to rescue little kids. That was our mission, rescue little kids. And the hatred, and it, I mean, it was just like, if she had flamethrowers, Tammy would have been dead. <laughs> Coming out of her eyes. And Tammy had just received, she had given her grandma, Louise, a, a gift card to Walmart, like for 50 bucks. And then she had been over at the house, uh, and because her grandma wasn't getting out of the hospital, she, she picked this up. She said, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do with this. And so she put it in her pocket. And then we were there, and as Janet is looking at Tammy with such hatred in her eyes, Tammy walked up to her and said, hi, Aunt Janet. She gave her a big hug. Aunt Janet wouldn't hug her back. And she said, you know, Aunt Janet, I, I had this Walmart card. I, I gave it to Grandma, but, you know, she said, uh, I want to give it to you. Janet didn't know what to do. She became speechless for a moment. She kind of got rattled, and we said, we're going to go. We'll let you visit Louise, and she passed away in the next day or two. But through that exchange, that night, that night, Janet actually asked the other daughter, other daughter is it true? And she said, yes, Mom. Dad molested all of us. It's all true. And Janet broke down, and the reconciliation happened, and uh, she divorced Tom, and, and the healing began, but it was this incredible thing that after a, a decade of the nightmare and the guilt and the suicides and the, the death, to be able to have a, to forgive, to be able to move forward. Now we see Janet and uh, her cousin Terry and, you know, at the house and we hug. It's like nothing ever happened, right? Just this love is restored in this dynamic. And in this restoration that happens in Joseph and his brother's lives, a lot of water's been under the bridge. There might be stuff that, you know, is keeping you from reconciliation with someone. Somebody that's hurt you or whatever it might be. Now, the Bible says live at peace with all men as far as it concerns you, meaning that all you can do is reach out and want to have that restoration or reconciliation. But they may not want to, and you can't do anything about that, right, if it's only one-sided. But at least you can be available to it. But here we see it all coming together. Now, fast forward. Jacob and all the brothers, all the family, come down to Egypt when Jacob's 30 years old. Jacob dies at 147, so they've been there for 17 years. They're enjoying a huge, wonderful family reunion. Their, his son is the prime minister of Egypt. He gives them the best of grazing land in the land of Goshen. And then dad dies. Now, this is what the brothers think. Their guilty conscience comes back up. Even though, even though Joseph's assured them, but they've forgotten about it. Because a guilty conscience needs a lot of assurance. <laughs> it, needs, it needs a lot of uh, ministering to it. It says in chapter 50, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. They thought to themselves, the only, re only reason Joseph's being nice is because dad's alive. Now that dad's dead, we're toast. <coughs> it's the end. 
And so Joseph hears this. It breaks his heart. And in verse 19 it says, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. For I, am I in the place of God? Is it my job to bring vengeance? But as for you, you meant evil against me. He does not dismiss the motive by which they betrayed him and sold him into slavery. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. People can mean things for evil and God can overrule. And I've watched God do this in my life over and over and over and over. People think they're, you know, harming me. And yet God just turns it around and says, hey, I'm going to use this for, the, for good, for you. Why is that? Because God has a way of accomplishing his means through broken human people that send you different directions or affect you in different ways. And so getting used to that. As I said, Romans 8, 28, Paul the Apostle says, for we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. He says, for we know. Do you know that as we end here today? Do you know that? Do you know that God can work absolutely all things, not some things, not the good things, not a few things, not the things you like, all things together for good for those who love God? All those things. My wife ended up writing Healed and Set Free, a nine-week Bible study for people to get healed and set free that have been sexually abused. And now it's been translated into multiple languages. Thousands and thousands of copies have went around the world. And God took something that was so evil and meant for evil and he turned it into something so beautiful to set women free. Only God can do that. Only God can take the brokenness of my life and turn it around and use it for his glory. God is going to do that work. Now this is the problem, and some of you are choking on it right now. When you don't see the whole picture. When I was a kid, my mom is an amazing cook, and she would cook uh, a cake from scratch. And because I was the youngest of four, I, you had to fight for everything, you know what I mean? You had to fight for all, so if she was gonna cook a cake, I wouldn't let any of the siblings, I would just sit on the counter until she finally got the batter poured into the pan so I could lick the bowl. That was the whole prize. The prize was to lick the bowl, right? So I wanted to lick the bowl. And she had all the ingredients on the counter. She had to have the flour and the sugar and the baking soda and the baking powder and the vanilla and whatever, everything's on the counter. Now, if I was to take any one of those individual ingredients and take a spoonful, I would have choked on it. Let's have a, when's the last time you had a tablespoon of flour? A, a, ta a tablespoon of sugar, a tablespoon of baking soda or baking powder, or a shot of vanilla, right? Any one of these things would look, <laughs> you'd be choking on it. Well, that's what you do with every event that you try to disconnect as a piece to the puzzle that does not fit, you choke on it because you cannot see it come together. Now, it's only when all of those things are mixed together in God's plan, man, when, my, when the cake was eaten or the, even you licked the bowl, all the ingredients together, whoo, it was awesome. But when I look at isolated events of bad things or difficult things and I don't see that God can mix something together, in his big plan and make something beautiful of it. I don't see how this piece fits in the puzzle. All these things transform your life. So Paul says, do not judge a matter before it's time. 
Let God's plan be fulfilled. I don't understand. I have this file in my mind of things I don't understand that have happened in my life. You got one of those files? Mine's really fat and thick. Right? Every time I don't understand something that's going on, I just put it in the, do not, I don't get this yet. Put it in the file. A few years later, I take it out of the file. Oh, that makes sense. Understand file. I got the understanding file, and I got the file I don't understand. And people come to me all the time when tragedy happens. They go, Pastor, this is the, why? I have no idea why. I have no idea what God's doing. I don't see the, I don't have the, I don't have the puzzle box to see the picture. I don't get it. But when God brings it all together, you'll look back and go, wow, God, you're amazing. Joseph looks back and he goes, wow, God, you're amazing. Jacob could look back and say, wow, God, you're amazing. Even the brothers, if they can finally get over their guilty conscience and accept the plan of God and the comfort that Joseph's trying to give them, wow, God, you're amazing. You can take bad things that bad people did and turn it around and accomplish something beautiful for your kingdom and for your glory. And I pray that you can do that in your life. And when those things come along, hey man, don't try to, don't be choking on the spoonful of flour. You don't know what God's doing. You don't know how it's working. Just, you know, people get fired. You know, you have big uh, uh, cutbacks and all these people get fired. And I see people booing. And I said, man, God just set you free for the new, next chapter of your life. What do you mean? I, you know, my 401k and my, they go through this whole list. I'm like, God has another plan for you. Embrace that. As long as you're looking over at yesterday, it's robbing you of know, the joy today. And you're afraid of how you're going to pay the bills tomorrow. Hey, you got, a, you got a bed and a roof over your head and some food today? Trust God. God's going to take care of you. See the birds around? He feeds them and none of them are stressed out. He closes the flowers. None of them are stressed out. The flowers and the birds of the air, God just takes care of them. And you're more valuable than all of them. And so was Joseph, and so was his brothers, and so was Jacob. And God did this beautiful work. But in the process, there is pain and suffering and difficulties that require a childlike faith to trust the God that he can put it all together. Light in the darkness, I want hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Times of trouble, I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, 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 whoa.
in times of trouble I'll keep my heart seeking you I will keep my heart seeking